Welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope everyone is having a wonderful week. I'm so excited to bring you today's guest. I just finished her book maybe about a week or two ago called Humankind, and it was super impactful. I really, really enjoyed it. So I am blessed to have the author with me here today, Ashley Island. So welcome, Ashley. Thanks for having me, Angel. Glad to be here. Of course. So if you don't mind, would you just give us like a little who is Ashley Island synopsis in a couple sentences? Of course. I think my most enjoyable role is as a mom and a wife. Mm. I've got a husband. He and I serve at Mars Hill Bible Church together. He's a worship pastor. I'm our teaching and formation pastor. But these days, I think the most weighty job is as a mom to three kids. I've got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a 20-month-old. So that's taking up a majority of my time. Um, but when I'm not working or at home, I love being in the, in the community. I care a lot about adoption and how that's impacted not just our lives, but what it means for us as followers of Christ. And I love uh, serving on the board of an organization called Fellowship Housing back in Chicago that supports single moms. Mm. And in my spare time, I do CrossFit and I like running and baking with my kids. And I love art and music. Um, We recently just watched the Hamilton film about (laughs) three or four times in the past couple months. So, Oh my gosh. um, I know we're big into music since my husband's a musician. So that's just Mm. a little bit about me. Yes. So I, I started to watch Hamilton. I actually had to watch it with a friend of mine um, because my husband is one of those, like, even in Disney movies, he's like, too much singing. So I'm like, I'm not even going to try <laughs> to watch Hamilton with him. So, um, but we could do a whole other podcast episode about just Hamilton because that was an amazing musical. I was mad about some of the things in it, but side note. Well, I guess it kind of segues into this a little bit. So the basis of your book, um, from what I heard, I listened to another interview that you did. And you said that basically leading up to the election, you were noticing a lot of division and hatred and you wanted to kind of put something out to bridge the gap and, you know, kind of make people realize that we're all still humans. Yes, you can be a Democrat or Republican or black or white or Christian or not like, but we're all still humans. And so humankind, you know, to be nicer to each other. But what you didn't realize is that it would be in the middle of a pandemic and then the whole social unrest that's happening. So can you kind of just tell everybody from your perspective um, what the book is about and what you hope it will accomplish? Certainly. I was hoping that the book would intersect our current moment as I thought we would be engaged in a really contentious political cycle this year for 2020. I mean, Uh I I started writing this book two years ago. Mm. That's all I really, that's really all I anticipated Uh was that 2020 would be a huge election year. Little did I know that all of those other factors would be layered in as well. Yes. The idea of kindness to me needs to be reclaimed. I think if you oftentimes hear the word kindness, you'll think of like the Mr. Rogers or the Mother Teresa's and how that equates to mere acts of niceness and being Uh 
to one another. I think especially for now, as we're engaging such division and contention, we need something more powerful mm. that is beyond our own intellect and human efforts. And so I really make the case through individual stories from my own life mm-hmm. that kindness might be reclaimed through the power of story mm-hmm. and that kindness as an ideal can be reclaimed not just as a value, but as empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit which means it comes along with a power that's outside of and transcendent to our own and our own effort. So this is a call to kindness as God has been kind to us. Mm. It's a call to kindness that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that gives us power beyond what we can muster on our own. And it's a call to re-engage each other's stories again. And in an era where really we're moving away from each other in many ways, casting yep. quick judgments, this is an invitation to re-engage and grow closer in proximity. Yeah, and I loved it. I feel like um, I could kind of talk all day about each chapter because there was so much I loved about it. Like I really couldn't even kind of pinpoint it down to like three chapters that I wanted to talk about. So I was just like, oh, what do I even focus on? Um, But I think for the current climate, um, one of the stories that was most impactful to me was your experience with Um, inviting the police officers into your home. For one, because I have family members who are police officers. And so I've seen firsthand, not my loved ones personally, but friends and family who have experienced, um, just for an example, one of our friends who is a deputy here locally, he was at Wawa and someone tried to spill their coffee on him, like on purpose, like was like splashing him. Um, Another time they went to a restaurant and the servers wouldn't serve them because they didn't, you know, because they were cops. So I've seen a lot of, you know, negativity around that. And also I've seen the other side where you do hear the stories of Breonna Taylor who was shot for absolutely no reason. So I really kind of feel so, I'm such a person that I can see both sides of the story. So I feel so almost like suspended. It's like, if if I say yes to this side, am I proposing that side? So can you kind of just tell everybody about your story of how you invited the police officers to your house? First of all, Angel, I think the example you just gave is such a good picture and depiction Mm -hmm. of why personal relationship is so important right now, because it keeps us away from drawing these hard lines and forcing ourselves on either side of what those lines might represent. Yes. So just to give everyone an idea of what this story was, uh, shortly after Charlottesville happened, and some of the headlines and the displays of of rioting and really protesting what was happening in Charlottesville came about, I found myself growing really fearful Mm. of local law enforcement. Because one, I didn't know what would be kicked up, even though Charlottesville was in a completely different state. I didn't know how this would resonate nationally. And my family at the time lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. And for us as a black family, we started seeing Confederate flags pop up all throughout our neighborhood. Mm. And so there was inspired in me a level of fear Mm. and distrust with my own neighbors. And in my own quiet time, I really submitted that fear to God. And I said, Lord, I don't want to live in fear. I've seen fear paralyze me in a way that takes me out of the mission that you've called me to as a disciple of Jesus. And it really turns me away from those you've called me to love. So, So what do I do with this? And In the moment, I had this idea to reach out to a couple of different uh, local police departments just to say, you know what, I'd rather engage in conversation and draw nearer in this sense to really combat the negative stories and the narratives I was telling myself in my head, because we can be absolutely 
petrified and paralyzed by the own negative stories we've told that haven't actually come to fruition. Mm. They just exist within us. Yep. And so how do we live in a way that actively dismantles the negative stories in our head? So this was an example of that where I invited local law enforcement over. I remember my daughter and I, we made cookies and, and just had beverages there. And we invited friends to kind of sit and hold the space with us inside. Mm. And unbeknownst to us, we had no idea who would show up, but a couple of police officers for, from our own town's department showed up in uniform and we talked outside. And this wasn't going to make anyone's Hallmark movie real. I mean, this was a very underwhelming conversation by anyone else's definition. But what it did was it helped humanize Mm. these two officers we talked about more than just what was going on in charlottesville we talked about our own local neighborhood Mm. and their concerns we talked about my fears as one of the only families of color in the neighborhood and they got to share that end as well and so not only did i see a human Mm. behind that uniform who had interests and desires and values like i did but they got to see me And that was equally as important. And to hear me as one who was for them, but also concerned Mm. um, for the well-being of our family in that climate. And so that really uh, dismantled the fear that I was holding. Mm. And because of that proximity, I was able to take what was becoming a negative story and to meet it with something more constructive and more effective. And that was really powerful, a powerful moment and snapshot for me. Yeah. And so I'm kind of just encouraging everyone who's listening if there's a particular group that you're scared of, like, oh, all Muslims are terrorists or something, I would encourage you to do what Ashley did and find someone in that group and just start a dialogue. You know, obviously don't attack them because I feel like that's what a lot of people do on Facebook is they're like, anyone who believes this is wrong. And that just closes any doorway of communication. So I I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to do what Ashley did and just, you know, reach out to someone who is different than you and maybe just start to slowly i because actually there's an organization called be the bridge i don't know if you've heard of it yes of course um, latasha morrison she does great work yeah and i guess what started it for her was that she purposefully sought out women from different walks of life different religions different races different everything and they just started getting together and she said their lives were so impacted by that like to actually break the stereotypes and everything so i i thought that was really beautiful too um I haven't read that book yet, but I did see her website and I've been watching it and she's got a whole list of resources. So if anyone's looking for educational resources, you can even take, there's an an implicit association test that you can do on there that maybe if you don't even know that you're holding these prejudices like deep down in your subconscious. So I feel like that's a good resource too, just if anyone is, you know, looking for anything like that. Um, And something else I do want to talk about was you had an experience where you got to go to Rwanda and got to interact with both the communities that were being, I don't know how to describe it, were affected by the genocide and then the ones who were doing the genocide. So can you kind of give us a little, obviously you would need more than what the time we have right now to discuss all this, but what do you, can you just kind of summarize what that visit was like for you and the lessons you learned? Yeah, that was probably one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Yeah. And this happened last summer. And so it, it wasn't that long ago, but for those of you who aren't familiar, back in 1993, 1994, um, over the course of a very short period of time, upwards of a million Rwandans were killed um, due to genocide. And this began slowly. I mean, there were were years building up to this 
kind of a fever pitch where um, so many different players, even globally, were pitting Rwandans against each other. Like this was not in existence for Rwandans as a people before certain outside actors got involved. But it's just, it, it painted the power of dehumanization mm. and what even language can do to tear away at the fabric of our humanity and how important language is. Mm-hmm. and maintaining our humanity and and maintaining dignity of the other person. But it was so impactful to go to peace villages. There are these locations called peace villages within Rwanda mm-hmm. where perpetrators of the genocide and those who had family members who were killed and who were still grieving and recovering from that grief were coexisting and living together side by side. I thought it was beautiful what many uh, in the country of Rwanda did. They said for those who had been arrested for their crimes, they gave an opportunity of rehabilitation um, and of restoration by saying, if you confess to the crimes that you've done, we will offer you a part of our community back. We will give you a second chance. We will give you an opportunity to be reinstated into our community in a rehabilitative way. And so perpetrators and victims were building new communities and new homes together side by side so that we we met one man who actually married the daughter of someone that he had been responsible for killing. And there was deep forgiveness, unlike I'd ever seen. There was restoration, even in the midst of an existence of, of pain and grief and sorrow and remorse Mm. so you have all these hard emotions they didn't just go away but there was an active moving toward in the in the acts of confession on behalf of the perpetrators and forgiveness on um, behalf of the victims that was truly an example of what empowered kindness empowered fruit of the spirit looks like because I don't know in my own strength apart from the Holy Spirit of God, if mm-hmm. I would be able to confess to that death or forgive to yeah. that death. So in Rwanda, we saw a country that is vibrant, that is committed to never seeing the atrocities of genocide ever again. When you talk about the Hutus and the Tutsis, it's, it's taboo to ask a Rwandan whether they identify as Hutu or Tutsi, because that is so tied to the atrocities of the genocide, that it's not even something they want to talk about in, in that kind of classification. And so this was a, an opportunity for us as a group of pastors and ministry leaders to look at what peacemaking, not just peacekeeping, but peacemaking actually looks mm. like in real time by both studying what has happened and being students of history, because that's so important to understand our history and to look at, at that horrific era straight in the face to acknowledge what has happened but then to take the learnings and examples of those who have humbled themselves beneath the work of reconciliation and peacemaking to say, how might we, as the Western church, as the church in America, as leaders within that church, both keep ourselves from corruption because there were church leaders and ministry leaders who took part in that genocide. Oh, wow. And who either turned a blind eye or were active participants. So that was a lesson learned. How do we as church and ministry leaders detach ourselves from corruption, but also actively become reconcilers in our nation and in our community. So that was one of the most, I will never forget that trip. And I think it has such 
um, learnings for our time today, Angel, because it, it reminds me of how I need to be regularly confessing the things that I've done to harm mm-hmm. others. I need to be regularly extending forgiveness to those who hurt me or else we won't be able to move forward in our yes. society. Oh, that's so good. I can't even like, I just want to like, okay, so can this interview be four hours long? Cause I want to hear more. I just want to keep hearing about this. Um, but I really particularly love what you said about peacemaking and peacekeeping. Cause I feel like that's so different because to make peace with someone can be a quick, like, oh, I forgive you, everything's great. But then if you just revert back to how you were before. So I feel like it's like a continual act. Um, You know, it's not, it's something that is very intentional. You don't just accidentally, oh, we're at peace now. Like, no, it's super intentional. So I think that that's just incredibly powerful even to think about the people, from my perspective, the victims who were able to stand up and be like, okay, I, you know, let's build this community together. Because it's one thing to forgive someone, but to forgive them and be in community with them, right, that right. takes it to a whole nother level. I'm just like, I'm blown away by that. Because I'd heard about the genocide. I don't know much about it, but the fact that it was like a million people, I had no idea. So, I mean, that's like a very large scale. Like you said, it took years. So the fact that hearing that story gives me such hope for our country. So I'm like, I'm so thankful that you shared that story with us because I know things can be pretty grim with the way they look now, but hearing stories like that, it's like, yes, there's hope. And it yeah. comes through the Holy Spirit. So I agree with you on that part too. If there's someone listening to this podcast right now who is, you know, like you were just really fearful, maybe it's a person of color or maybe it's a police officer, just whichever side you want to speak to, um, could you just kind of give some encouragement about what to do? in today's climate? The first thing I'd offer is to take it a day at a time and to really lean into the voice of the spirit in the moment and to say, what is mine to do right now in order to lend myself to the act of reconciliation, to be a minister of reconciliation in this moment? I think I and perhaps we can become overwhelmed with thinking of the long game to say, what does this look like in my life? What organizations do I need to be a part of? What do my friendship circles need to be a part of? And we can get so overwhelmed with the mass of work that needs to be done and that can be done. I say start with today. So for example, with inviting the, the police over to my house, that felt like for that day, for that moment, something in my strength that I had energy and excitement to do. Now, there are other days when, Angel, I would not have had that energy or that strength because for any uh, people of color who are listening, there are some days where it's just too much and it's too weighty and Mm -hmm. to try and build that bridge over and over and over again to compensate or to try and meet the generations, the 400 years of oppression Mm -hmm. um, with more attempts at reconciliation it's just too much. It's too heavy. It's, it's too exhausting. Yeah. And so there's some days I don't have it. And my work in that moment is to sit at the foot of the cross and to ask Jesus to remind me that it is finished in him yes. and that I can keep moving forward and that I do have a reason for hope. So this doesn't have to be a, a grand and sweeping move towards fearlessness. Sometimes it's in the moment just asking for the strength enough to trust that there is a reason to hope in the midst of all the reasons we have to fear one another. Mm. I think um, a second offering would, would, to, would be to, to pray this prayer, to have eyes to see whoever we have othered in the way that Jesus himself sees them. 
it is way different to encounter someone from a community or from a descriptive community um, like the police. It's hard to hate them when I see them or remind myself that they too are children of the Most High God. It's really hard to hate. And if I choose to keep hating, then that is on me. That is between God and me. And, and I will be held accountable for that. We, yes. we have to remember, we will be held accountable for the ways in which we love God and love each other. Yep. Um, and so I'd say, make sure that our fear isn't one where it is keeping us from the ultimate command that we've been given, the ultimate law that Jesus Christ has given us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and, you know, if we want to go even deeper, Jesus prayed for us to be unified in John 17. And so how do we combat fear in the moment uh, to move toward more unity? I think that's a good question, too, as opposed to just forcing ourselves to be less fearful. How can we actually invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us about what it means to preserve unity in, in the way that Jesus has described it? Yeah. Um, so those are just, those are pretty high level. I'd say one specific way is to engage in perhaps even a new hobby or new community opportunity or put yourself in a different part of the city in which you live that has you living and doing life alongside those who are different from you. Um, so for our family, we make it a practice to order um, dinner or a meal from a different part of, of the city and to support local businesses and to say, you know, we're not just going to go to the place five minutes from our house. We're going to make a drive in an attempt to um, put ourselves in someone else's territory and terrain yeah. and to be submitted to that and to enjoy the culture that is represented there. Mm. Um, it even starts with our kids. How are we introducing our kids to folks who look different from them in the ways in which we're educating them and offering different books and resources and extracurricular opportunities? Um, how are we making decisions about the schools that they're involved in um, that might put them in actual authentic, mutually beneficial relationships mm. yep. with kids who are of different races or, or ethnicities or, or even religions? This is all a way that we can humanize one another mm. and reject fear by growing more proximate. Now, the one caveat I would give is that if we have been put in situations where our lives are at stake, so I'm thinking of those of us who've been in, in abusive relationships or for whom relationship isn't safe right now, I'd say use discernment because there is healthy fear. I'd say there is a healthy amount of fear that keeps us, uh, us safe. But if we're painting a broad brushstroke and we're talking about all the ways in which we've been divided along color uh, political lines and religious lines, I'd say find ways to put yourself in the same spaces with those whom you fear because you will see the image and likeness of God reflected in, in that person if you choose mm -hmm. to become closer. Yes. I think that's so, I love all of that. Everything, like if this was Facebook, I'd like, you know, put a like to all <laughs> that. You, I love everything you said. Um, but one thing, it's so funny you mentioned that because I literally, my son is going into kindergarten. So I have all the feels. I'm sad. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Like I have everything, yeah. especially with the pandemic. It's like, Oh Lord, help me, help me Jesus. Um, Psalm 91, Psalm 91. I'm just going to like, yeah, um, yeah. but something I literally was just thinking about yesterday was I said in my spirit, I was like, Lord, please let my son be in community with 
people who were different from him. That just was on my heart to like, I mean, because we, I have a couple, we have family members who are black and we have family members who are Latino. We have different mixes, but I just want him to be a person who is, he's in personal community with kids who are different with, you know, how you said different neighborhoods and just, I just want my kids to be so well-rounded and just not, not ever consider anyone other, you know, like how you talked about being other. I want my kids to see, see there's no lines. I just want them to treat everyone the same and to love everyone the same. So I'm hoping there's some little kids in his class who are just different from us and we can kind of fellowship with. So I'm like, that's, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm like, yeah answer my prayer but um yeah that's a great aspiration I love that yeah I mean obviously I can't pick who's in this class but you know (laughs) if I could um I'm like just someone just someone different from us in whatever way that happens to be so Ashley I so 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 appreciate you coming on here I like I said I've loved everything you've said and something that's so cool for anyone who's never listened or read Ashley's stuff before is every time I've heard an interview or seen what you post or read your book you always say something different like you have this cool talent where like some writers or speakers say the same thing every time you're like, Oh my gosh, she's going to say this. And you don't do that. So I'm so thankful that you offered some different wisdom on here today too. So if people haven't already connected with you or they want to get the book or follow you on social, how, how can they do that? Yeah, the book is available wherever books are sold online. And I know it's available in person at like Barnes and Noble um, and maybe your local um, independent uh, retail bookstore. But I'm online mostly on Twitter and Instagram, especially at Ashley underscore Island. And most of my podcasts and articles in written form can be found at ashleyisland.com. Okay, well, that's perfect. Yep. And um, for anyone who doesn't know how to spell it, it's A-S-H-L-E-E. And then Island is E-I-L-A-N-D, just in case anyone, you know, writes the other type of island. I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tricky one. (laughs) It is. But once you know it, then it's fine. So, well, thank you everybody for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous. Encourageous.